Welcome to the Braemar Life Skills Academy podcast. The world is changing faster than ever, and the world of education is too. Advances in psychology, biology, and a whole range of other fields have opened up new lines of thought about the purpose of school and how it can best serve a new generation of students. Join me on the Braemar Life Skills Academy podcast every week to explore these new ideas. In last week's episode, I spoke to Dr. Diana Breacher from Toronto Metropolitan University about her work with student wellness, especially about the concepts of positive psychology and building resilience in day-to-day life. In today's episode, I'll be speaking to Dina Mahavza and Mary Jo Abdulhay about their work with the University of Toronto's UNICEF group. Welcome back to the Braemar Life Skills Academy podcast. I'm very happy to be joined today by Dina Mahavza and Mary Jo Abdulhai. These are the directors of youth engagement with the University of Toronto's UNICEF outreach program, uh, and we're also very happy to be bringing them back, not too uh, sh- not in the not too distant future, uh, to be running an assembly presentation and a workshop for our students, um, introducing them to things uh, to the projects of of. UNICEF, especially U of T UNICEF, working with children's rights, working to protect youth and uh, make sure that they are given the services and the care that every child deserves. Mm-hmm. Dina, Mary Jo, welcome to the show. Thanks Thank for being you. with me. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, we always like to start just giving our audience a sense of who we're talking to. So if you don't mind, uh, let them know who you are, uh, what you're studying at U of T, how you got involved mm-hmm. with U of T UNICEF and anything else that we might find uh, interesting. Great, thank you for the introduction. Um, so my name is Mary Jo, and um, I'm a fourth year student at U of T. I'm double majoring in physiology and in global health with a minor in immunology. Uh, I know, it's a lot. A lot, yeah. <laughs> you have time to be here with us right now, or shouldn't you be studying? <laughs> um, yeah, and um, so I got engaged with U of T UNICEF in my second year. I came in as a volunteer. Um, and, you know, I last year I was an associate, and now with Dino, um, I'm one of the co-directors for UFC UNICEF, um, which is, has been great so far. Um, and I think I started, you know, looking at opportunities to get more involved with the youth and the community here um, because I've worked with children and teenagers with special needs before, and I find it really interesting and fulfilling. And, um, you know, I just wanted to keep working towards this goal. Um, so, yeah. That's my intro. Awesome. Lovely. Thank you. So my name is Dina. I'm also in my fourth year. I'm doing a double major in equity studies and political science. Just like Mary Jo, um, I got involved with U of T UNICEF in my second year. We both started as volunteers and same things. So it's really sweet, like having a full circle moment because we also started um, as volunteers with Braemar. So mm-hmm. very full circle moment, which yeah. is really nice. Um, I also have always been interested in anything related to human rights and children's human rights, which is essentially what drew me to uh, U of T UNICEF. Um, I have experiences working with children who are um, at risk of developing mental health issues um, for a variety of reasons, um, which is why I was really excited to get involved and which is why I'm also excited for this podcast and having these conversations. And I think, yeah, really great. You and me both. Yeah, uh, it, it's a very exciting time to, to be talking about stuff like this. It feels like coming out of the, the COVID pandemic, there's a mm-hmm. renewed urgency dealing with all sorts of, of, of social issues, but especially things like mental health, providing um, type of care, even special education programs for mm-hmm. children that need it, making sure that that care is equitable and accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, 
maybe I missed it in my younger years, but I don't remember the emphasis culturally on these topics yeah. earlier in my life, and it mm -hmm. seems like it's really coming to the front now. Um, for audience members who may not be familiar, we're going to talk more about University of Toronto's UNICEF work, but the broader United Nations International Child Emergency Fund, I believe mm -hmm. now referred to simply as the United Nations Child Fund or yeah. Child Care Fund. Um, can you talk a little bit about their history? What was their um, foundational goal and, and sort of how have they evolved into their mm -hmm. current state? Yeah. Do you want to start or should I? Whatever you want. <laughs> okay, I could touch upon this really quick, and Please. then I don't know if I missed anything. Um, I know they do a lot to um, provide financials as well, but they do a lot to raise awareness about children's human rights and also making the concept of children's human rights um, accessible for children all over and it being a conversation that children could easily have and it not being a topic that is so far beyond, oh, how do we approach this topic? How do we have these conversations with young children as well? Um, so I know that they have their conventions on the rights of the child and that's something we base a lot of our work on. So um, just introducing children to the concept of human rights, whether that's um, access to education, shelter, mental health, things like that. Um, they do a lot to um, also just uh, raise awareness, I think, raising awareness, yeah. I'm kind of losing track, so if you want to yeah, jump on um, that. About the um, CRC, so the, what was it? The conventions, yeah, the on conventions the rights of the, of the child. Yeah, um, so I think we really, so UNICEF really bases all of its work on those, I think it's around 40 articles. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they have this one part where um, they try to get the children engaged in knowing about their rights and their education and, you know, making sure they're, they're aware of those issues to, you know, especially like taking care of making, sorry, making sure that it's appropriate for their age. Mm -hmm. um, but on the other side, it's also globally involving different organizations, governments uh, to raise awareness about those 40 articles and make sure that they're being respected in different countries. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's a bit about UNICEF yeah. in general. Um, and they also have like the financial part of things where yeah. obviously, you know, it's fundraising because mm -hmm. um, they really need funding to, you know, make sure those articles are being carried out. And um, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a few different points that, that we could launch uh, from there. The first, it's interesting to me that there's almost a paradox at play when you talk about raising awareness mm -hmm. both of children's rights and sort of raising children's awareness of their rights. Yeah. Uh, the, the convention, the UN Convention on the Rights of Children, 1989, we're in this weird global moment where I, th I think it's called the unipolar moment, Soviet world sort of retreating. Mm -hmm. There's this sense that, okay, now the, the sort of developed world can begin to spread these, these, these progressive ideas. Um, and I th it seems like for the first 20 or so years of UNICEF's existence, it was very much a sort of top-down, let's be adults and take care of these children. Let's provide mm -hmm. education, medicine, health care, um, the assurance of parental care, safe drinking water, nutrition, etc. Mm -hmm. But now, sort of in the brief review of the literature that I've done, it seems like there's a big focus on shifting the, the, the sort of attitude towards children so that it's not one of we need to save them, mm -hmm. but rather we need to give them the tools to self-advocate, yeah. adopt an internal locus of control, 
know their own rights. I, mm -hmm. I think I watched a video on the UNICEF website yeah. that was aimed at three to six-year-olds just trying to explain what rights yeah. are. And they have this mm -hmm. this song like about rights. Kind yeah. of, you know, I, I remember growing up with conjunction, junction, what's <laughs> your function? And now we're learning about <laughs> children's rights. It's beautiful yeah. because it's not, it's, it's trying to get rid of that sort of adultist prejudice mm -hmm. and yes. say these are not adults in training. They're not objects mm -hmm. to be controlled by adults. They are individuals in their own right, and they deserve to be treated as such. Mm -hmm. How does your work with the University of Toronto UNICEF connect with that big bundle of stuff that we just finished talking about? Yeah, uh, so something to mention about uh, the University of Toronto's UNICEF is that we do have a lot of sectors. So mm. we do have outreach that focus more on raising awareness and engaging through the social media, because I know youth and social media, that's a very big thing. And it's something that we have to tap into. Right. We have other sectors that focus on events and fundraising. And then there's us <laughs> youth engagement who focus on simply engaging the youth. Uh, so we work with um, a variety of age groups. So we kind of have two sections. We work with uh, young children, kids, and we also work with teenagers. Um, so when we do work with kids, like you said, we focus on introducing them to their rights. What are children's human rights? How do we have these conversations? How do we approach these topics? What do they look like? Um, what does a breach of a child's human right look like? And things like that. Um, and then when we work with the teenagers and at a more mature level, we have more mature discussions and more mature conversations about human rights. And what we also love to do is talk about current issues because we like to involve students um, not only with um, just concepts of human rights, but looking at current issues and and just kind of bridging the gap between current issues and human rights and what they can do. So something that we love to focus on is not only having discussions with teenagers about these topics, but what can we do? How can we make an impact? How could you make an impact within your community, within your school, within the city, the province, and globally, seeing what we could do on a global scale as well? So important. We, we, yeah. When you keep things in the abstract and you learn this again and again as a teacher, you may capture a certain percentage of your class, but you're certainly not capturing the majority. Mm -hmm. it, you have to make these abstract concepts real to them. Mm -hmm. And then especially, as you just said, give them a sense of agency in, yeah. in contributing to this issue. So it's not just this external thing that's happening somewhere else, mm -hmm. but it's happening to them and to people just like them. Yeah. Um, I don't know if the, the two of you specifically will be coming back, but U of T UNICEF is going to be delivering a, an assembly presentation for, for our students, our mm -hmm. teenage students, in is two it weeks. Okay if I just add something? On Please, what by Dina all means, said. yeah. Sorry, yeah. thank you. Um, so I just want to say, you know, uh, Dina focuses more on the high school part of things, and yeah. I focus more on the children part of things, which is why you might not see me again. Yeah. Um, but uh, specifically for the children's workshops, um, as Dina said, you know, we focus on, on rights, but also. Um, you know, in a playful way. Um, so that could be drawing, acting, singing even. Um, and it's really, you know, some of the workshops that we do are, what is, what are your rights? What's the difference between your rights, um, your needs, your wants, and really identifying, um, you know, when your rights are not respected and when your wants are not respected mm -hmm. um, and who to go to when your rights are not respected. So uh, it's really creating this environment for um, children at their school to know who to go talk to um, if there's a serious issue uh, that can be addressed, hmm. you know, before it escalates. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think this is a big part of um, the youth engagement program at U of T UNICEF. Yeah. yeah. 
Thank you. It's, no, thanks for, for bringing it up. Um, my, my prejudice or my bias is towards teenagers, obviously yeah. working so much with them. <laughs> but before they're teenagers, they are children. Yeah. And yeah. We, yeah. we know that it's not an experience that just goes away. But more and more evidence is, is beginning to support the notion that we are living with our childhoods. We are sort yeah. of living alongside our childish selves all our lives. Mm-hmm. And that the experiences um, that register for us as children are basically what frame our sense of security and belonging in this place, our sense of identity, and that doesn't go away just because we turn 18. Yeah, exactly. Right? Um, th- th- with that said, <laughs> my, my experience is working with, with teenagers and those same concepts, be, being able to recognize when your boundaries are being crossed and yeah. then having some avenue uh, to control. Mm-hmm. Someone who's, you know, a, a conversation or a mechanism that you can initiate whereby you're going to be able to expect protection uh, and a response and recognition that your boundaries exist and need to be treated as sacred. Mm-hmm. Um, question for both of you. Uh, you're working with, with kids, you're working with teenagers. In your experiences delivering these these presentations, assemblies, and workshops, um, what has been the most impactful for these students? Where are you seeing them really, their, their eyes lighting up? Where are you seeing them most engaged? Um, and maybe if you feel like it, what, what does that say about what teenagers and, and children need in mm-hmm. terms of the recognition of their rights? Mm-hmm. I feel like um, for me, the time where I see children or even high schoolers get most excited about our workshops is when we um, mention the careers and what do you want to do when you grow up? And they start asking us these questions of what should I do to get involved with UNICEF or humanitarian work? Um, And I think the best time of the workshop is when you tell them that you just have to find something that you're really interested in and you will find space for this in humanitarian work. Um, I feel like being, you know, kids and and teenagers, we have this, um, I don't know what it's called in English. Um, we really have this like thinking that um, I really need to do something extremely bright or that society think is bright Mm -hmm. um, for me to have space in big global world issues Um, and I think showing them that you know UNICEF has been hiring um, sanitary workers or uh, people that you know are involved in making sure the water connections are working or um, just really anything, even like, um, you know, obviously teachers or uh, it doesn't have to be a lawyer or right. a doctor or an engineer. These are like the three things that I hear the most, uh, but that everyone has space in this work and can contribute uh, and really make an impact regardless of where it, it is. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, I can see how liberating that would be for a student who worries that they need a PhD to yeah, impact the yeah. world um, and then are told, hey, guess what? You're not that far away. Like, yeah. You can start today. Yeah, That's just, so empowering. Yeah, just like even like being an artist and doing artwork, teaching kids how to express them, themselves through art could be very impactful and, you know, save children from very like various um, like mental health issues or uh, really like provide the space for them to. Um, express what they're feeling and, and get better yeah. uh, without without it being a doctor. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And we see evidence of that in mm-hmm. at Braemar and in my experience as a teacher, especially day in, day out. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the precursors to mental health issues are, are often the sense of alienation or dislocation or disassociation that comes from not being able to creatively express yourself, mm -hmm. not seeing routes forward to purpose and meaningful impact in the world. You say, oh, I'm, I'm only going to be able to be dot, 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 yeah. and therefore my identity isn't important. Right, so I need to, you, you almost see this retraction from connection with their own emotions, mm -hmm. right? With their own communities, with anything, the things that give vibrancy in life. And it sounds like UNICEF isn't just in tune with providing for the basic material needs of children, but is very much in tune with their emotional needs and their mental yeah. health needs, which is great to hear. Mm -hmm. yeah. 100%. Um, something to add on, I think basically that was the answer, but something else to add on, some of... Uh, the experiences that I've had working with the teenagers and I see like their eye, their eyes light up and they get so excited is when we have discussions or debates. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's a great way to get them involved. I know some teenagers don't like talking as much, which is fine. Um, <laughs> but I think um, what I've noticed throughout time is that if we take a certain topic and we say, okay, let's look at the positives and let's look at the negatives and let's tie in our own personal experiences. That really gets the students engaged. They think, okay, what? What experiences do I have? What do I think of this? And I think that's a great way for them to learn is learning through one another and hearing the other perspective. I think that's really great because I know that they leave the workshop not just learning from us as like, we don't want to just come here and lecture you. We want to have these discussions. We want to hear diverse perspectives. I want to hear about, oh, for example, how are you impacted by this? Oh, what experiences do you have with, for example, globalization or what experiences do you have with whatever it could be. So I think hearing diverse perspectives is really important. And um, it leaves the students um, questioning themselves even afterwards. So they do their own research. Something comes up in the news. They have a different perspective. Or they remember a student's perspective or a student's experiences. And they tie that in as well. So I think that's something that I think the high schoolers really enjoy is when we do have these discussions. The first two minutes are always kind of quiet, but then once the ball gets rolling, <laughs> it gets a lot better. Well, I'm familiar with the immediate silence after yeah. asking a question, but yeah, it usually yeah. does. One person talks and then 12 people talk. Yeah. <laughs> it happens very quickly. Yeah. And I think that's just, that's a perfect example of sort of where we started this conversation with the idea of moving away from adultism, mm -hmm. not assuming that just because they're young, that their opinions are somehow invalid or, exactly. or not as important, and then showing them that, mm -hmm. right? saying you, your you, your opinion is worthwhile enough for this group to sit quietly and listen to it right and we respect your critical process mm -hmm. and we're going to respect someone who disagrees with you too right so that when you go home a you don't have to feel like you're on a team that is antagonistic to yeah. to the other side you may actually be curious about what they think mm -hmm. and that spurs be towards the type of, you said watching the news right yeah. my goodness a teenager watching the news this, yeah. this is like my dream yeah. <laughs> Raymar now we know that viewership and especially engagement with social issues global issues is pretty low uh, among youth but I think it's exactly those types of debate settings and mm -hmm. interactive um, validating settings mm -hmm. that spur on that next engagement yeah. right giving them a reason to pay attention to something that they may have grown up thinking of as boring and irrelevant mm -hmm. right and I look at the, the, the UNICEF website, first link at the top is what we do. And the first 10 or so points that you see, it's Afghanistan, it's Rohingya in Myanmar, it's Syria, it's Ukraine, it's the Horn of Africa, etc. You can see a student's eyes glazing over if you just say that to them and then start preaching about those circumstances. But if you actually show them 
mm-hmm. I'm interested in what you think about this stuff. What have you heard? What have you experienced? Is there something similar in your experience to what we're yeah. seeing here? Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, the it's it's like the entire experience flips, and yeah. you may well be launching that student into a life of conscientious, aware care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Um, let's get more specific. You're walking into to Braemar in a couple of weeks. You're walking into a primary school when, <laughs> whenever's next. What does a U of T UNICEF student engagement experience look like? Can we, can we get some examples of, of the types of things that you do with them? Yeah, so um, for me, I think I can speak, um, kind of merge both the high school and the children's experience since I've been involved in both. Yeah. Um, and I think really before walking in, you really have to prepare um, and you know, really, um, well, first you have to see, is the workshop online? Is it in person? Do you want to accommodate both? I think that's something new that's been coming up with the pandemic mm-hmm. um, and that it's still present. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, seeing what what's the best way to deliver this information to the target age group. Yeah, so I think grabbing the attention of uh, the students um, and asking them how they would like to go about this, you know, telling them what we're thinking of doing and if they're okay with this. Um, and then really hearing what they have to say before lecturing them, mm-hmm. which we really try not to do. Um, because most of the time they know the points that we want to touch upon and they're aware they're, you know, I think they know more than we think they know. Um, and that's really something that I've learned throughout the three years that I've been at U of T UNICEF. Um, so yeah, giving, it's just giving them space to express themselves and tell us what they know. Um. And I think we really just like, we're just here to like, uh, I think moderate and, uh, you know, make sure the workshop is running smoothly, but they're really doing most of the work. Um, so, yeah. You would make a wonderful um, education school instructor. Thank you. <laughs> Coming through my, my Bachelor of Education, the number of times I heard, don't be the mage on the stage, be the guide on the side. Right? Yeah. I, can't, I can't get it out of my head. Um, in pedagogical terms, we call what you were just describing the co-construction of success criteria. I did um, not know there that you was go. an you, actual yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah. Say it to a teacher in your life, Very they'll be sure. impressed with you. Um, but the, the reason we emphasize it so much is for everything, everything you just said, right? It, that this is the way you get students engaged. This mm-hmm. is the way you validate them as people in front of you instead of just immediately putting them in that position of... Mm-hmm somehow less than or lower than you. I am the expert. I'm up here. I'm going yeah. to inform you. You're welcome. No, mm-hmm. this is this is an egalitarian yeah. space. This is conversational. Yeah. So important. Yeah. 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 And similar to the high school students, something I love doing is before we go and have a workshop with a specific class, I would love to know what that class is learning about and what they're doing. Because I think a fundamental thing we like to do is bring in those class concepts and then approaching them from a new lens or through a new activity. Mm -hmm. So something that I love doing, which I touched upon, was engaging the students in the class. Again, whether that's through a debate, we don't like the lecturing style like we just talked about. So I always like to make sure that there is at least like two or three activities to involve the students, whether that's a debate, whether that's a discussion with us, whether we um, watch a video and then share our thoughts, whether we... um, you know, play a game or whether it's like a Quizlet situation, uh, whatever it is, engaging the students is a really important part. 
And then, yeah, bringing in those concepts, bringing in those class concepts and just showing them that these class concepts, we can see them beyond just the classroom. We mm-hmm. can see them outside. We can see them in our day to day. And then let's look at these class concepts from a different lens. And how can we personally relate to these class concepts, for example? So that kind of fits in with more of like these social sciences classes. But I think it's some other classes as well. You could tie them into some current issues. You could tie them into personal experiences. And I think, yeah that's what we aim to do as well well certainly i can imagine how it would be difficult to connect the goals of of u of t unicef with a calculus class or or you know a a physics class but the precursors to success in those classes just like all classes are the same things that we talk about when we enumerate the rights of children Mm -hmm. right if you are not receiving appropriate nutrition if you're not in a place where you feel secure sleeping uh, if you haven't uh, experienced some some healthy engagement with nature or a bit of exercise over the course of the last few days, mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to succeed in calculus mm-hmm. or physics. Yeah. And so I, I don't know if that's an entry point for getting some of those classes in front of your group, mm-hmm. but I, I, would, I would go to the mat arguing for its um, applicability and value for any class that you might put in front of it. Yeah. I think you mentioned malnutrition, mm-hmm. and I oh, think yeah. tying biology to malnutrition is a huge thing. Yeah. Um, Although I will say I learned more about it in college, so I'm learning about it right now, which is unfortunate. Like, I wish it was introduced earlier. Um, but I think you would be surprised at, like, the number of things you learn in high school that you think are completely useless, but you end up using them more than you would ever think you would use them. So, And in the classroom or outside the classroom? Yeah, absolutely. But yeah. I think, um, we're like, I think outside the classroom you can see how you would use them outside the classroom because this is where you learn them. But in the classroom, you're just sitting and thinking like, what is this? Mm -hmm. You know? Um, And I think later in life, you'd be surprised how much you would use them. Yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's another bit of pedagogy for you. Um, (laughs) Something called uh, Cobb's Learning Cycle. I don't know if you've heard of it. This fell in, I think, 87. He came out with this concept for basically how do you turn information into learned knowledge? Mm -hmm somewhat useful for a teacher to know. Um, <laughs> Just a little. Yeah, and he talked about moving something from basically from being an observer, uh, total abstract observation, to some critical thinking, to an engagement and experimentation, to demonstration and sort of the the competition, the tournament, the performance or whatever. And then you go back and you reflect again, and he talks about this cycle. It's very intuitive. There is There have been adjustments to it um, that indicate some instruction is sort of necessary somewhere in mm-hmm. this cycle. Yeah. Um, but large, it's surprising to see how little direct lecturing and dire- direct instruction fit into what we know about learning psychology today. Mm-hmm. So students are going in, they're getting that sort of observation and then critical thinking, and you talk about debate and games. Um, mm-hmm. th- these are some of the best ways, quizzing, right? We yeah. know these are the best ways to make students remember things and mm-hmm. to really engage their full selves in, a, in an experience. But what makes me even more excited about bringing groups like yours in is that right afterwards they get to go out into downtown Toronto and see how some of these ideas that you're mm-hmm. discussing, the inequalities, the the yeah. services that are required for people just to, to live a, a life of dignity, mm-hmm. um, what does that look like on street level? And we're, we're so lucky to be surrounded by examples of the, 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 the very best care that can be provided for people mm-hmm. and, and examples of people who are dramatically underserved. And now yeah. students are witnessing that 
having already thought about how it applies to their life, having been given a sort of breadth of understanding of the issues that are at play. And I think they're so much better prepared to not just understand, but engage safely and meaningfully in those settings they find themselves in. So a huge thank you to, to you and, and everybody on your team and people like you, because the impact that it has on our students isn't just long term, mm-hmm. right? It, it's it's going to be the very day that, that you talk to them. And thank, if, thank if we could so have groups much. like that all the time, uh, hopefully <laughs> we're, more we're and more, but we that. will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're making a big impact. Thank you so much. Um, do you see that? Where, where are you seeing uh, the goals associated with UNICEF, maybe the long term or even the more recent goals expressed in the, the right to childhood campaign? Um, success stories and perhaps the, the ongoing challenges that are being faced both from your perspective as, as the U of T UNICEF engagement directors and UNICEF as a larger international body? Okay. So um, something that we see with UNICEF's new kind of, not new, but UNICEF's mission and vision towards centering the rights of the child and all the activities that come with that. Um, for me personally, uh, mental health is a big aspect of that. And I think destigmatizing mental health, especially for children and teenagers, I think that's a very important thing. Uh, from the North American perspective, we do see the destigmatization of mental health, but that doesn't say that we don't have a long way to go as well. And I think, especially working with really young children and also working with teenagers, um, it's really important to discuss mental health. It's an essential part of our upbringing and how we interact with the people around us, with our environments and how we go about our future. Um, It's really nice seeing uh, schools and community centers and whatever bodies really prioritizing mental health nowadays. I think that that's very important and seeing the support systems in place, that's really great. I mean, I even think back to my time in high school and I remember, oh, not having these support systems or, or just generally not feeling comfortable going to my, for example, my teachers or my guidance counselors or whoever it may be. So I think that's something we want to work towards. So I know UNICEF really prioritizes that, but it's something that we also, as U of T UNICEF, want to prioritize and we want to talk about mental health with our students and what that may look like and the effects and kind of destigmatizing this. And just on a global scale, kind of um, stepping back from the notion that oh for young children oh a lot of people go through these emotions oh a lot of people are unstable at this time or oh just you know the common misconceptions of oh you're just lazy for example these things can really damage a young child and a teenager and how they interact with the world in the future so yeah that's something i really wish to not only center, but keep prioritizing going forward and in whatever workshops and even just providing resources at the end of workshops. I think that's really important as well. That's something I hope mm-hmm. we can really put forth. Yeah, you said it. Um, it's it's at one and the same time heartening to, to see how much emphasis that even our, our broad culture is putting on the mm-hmm. issue of mental health and the destigmatization of it. It's kind of that... Um, I don't know if it's paradox, but like the more you know, the more there is, the more there is to criticize, right? Mm-hmm. So like as we are being informed, thank goodness, and as we are yeah. coming to understand what a lot of these these uh, poor mental health outcomes look like in real life, and maybe where some of them are caused, mm-hmm. um, the it's it's nice to be enlightened, but it's also very scary and and mm-hmm. um, kind of shocking to see the extent uh, of of poor mental health and its its outcomes around our society. 
Um, we just had Covenant House in uh, to give a presentation yesterday, and they work with youth homeless around uh, mm-hmm. all, all over Canada, but um, especially here in Toronto. Some of the numbers, um, 20% of all homeless in, in Canada are under the age of 18, and something like uh, 60% plus struggle with some form of mental illness. Yeah. Um, and we're, we're across the street from Center for Addiction and Mental Health, and we see yeah. the good work that they're doing on a day-to-day basis. But these problems are not going away anytime soon, and we need all hands on deck, groups mm-hmm. like yours, educators everywhere, talking about this stuff constantly and, and really providing some actionable um, analyses beyond, as you said, my, my least favorite word in the English vocabulary, beyond the bad story that you are lazy yeah. or, oh, you're just sad or you're a procrastinator, right? Yeah. It's not what's going on in these in these kids and we need mm-hmm. to be a little bit more well-informed, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, Mary Jo, do you see successes in, in some of the work that you're doing with younger people? Um, let me think. <laughs> um, I actually, I wanted to touch upon something a bit different Please? that is a bit related. Um, I think, uh, you know, we were mentioning how um, I guess we should include um, the peop- like teenagers, for example, in their education and in those global issues. And I think a different way to see this uh, that's it's being newly done also at you know by UNICEF is to um, engage locals into mm-hmm. the problems that their countries are facing. I think you know we have this perspective that an adult has to teach a child or someone that is more educated or in the Western world or Europe has to come into those developing countries and and tell them what to do to get better. Um, and I think, you know, UNICEF has been, is newly, kind of newly been addressing those uh, very false perceptions and, um, you know, this very, um, this wrong way of doing things, I think, because really they've been, if you look at the job descriptions that they've been posting um, over the years it started by being you know you only need to speak English to you need to speak the local language or you you know we could find you a work visa to you need to be able to work in this country and this really encouraged locals to apply to these positions and really puts puts them at the center of the issues and gives them power to address those issues because I think we all know that locals know best their countries and they know how those issues have been arising over the years and um, they probably know most obstacles that they will face along the way which it would take a long time for a foreigner to discover Um, and I think UNICEF has in this way it's also recognizing that locals are educated enough Mm -hmm. and we just need to give them space and funding and uh, audience to be able to um, you know have their perspective be heard and uh, address those issues. Um, yeah, I, maybe that's a bit not too related to the question, but that's what comes <laughs> no. to mind in success stories. <laughs> yeah, and thank you so much for making a point of, of saying it. We're an international high school, and we're reminded again and again of how important it is to recognize the the competence, the the more expert capacity working within that culture that these students have, right? And, and we try to do our best to give them the information they need to understand perhaps some of the differences that exist between our culture, the, mm-hmm. the assumptions that underlie it, and theirs. But uh, it, we, all, we all need reminding 
that these people are uh, are not in need of saving, right? Like these mm-hmm. are the ones who are going to do the saving, yeah. right? And kids can help kids, and Iranians can help Iranians, and it doesn't have to be all top down, right? Certainly, mm-hmm. if we can fundraise, if we can provide money, if we can provide education, etc., we should be, mm-hmm. but always in coordination, mm-hmm. right? Always in coordination with the people who are living that reality day to day. Yeah. Um, speaking of which, we got a couple hundred students in this school who are creative and and full of life and eager to change their worlds yeah what sort of advice would you give a 14 to 18 year old or maybe even someone younger who's looking to take the next step um, in beginning to impact their world in a positive way Mm -hmm. i can start by tackling this question um i think I know it's always hard. I remember being at that age and seeing issues going on around me and thinking, what can I do about it? What can I do about it? Um, I think a good place to start is probably fundraising. Um, I know people in general may think, oh, maybe fundraising is not so impactful, but I do think fundraising does have a large impact because in some communities, finances are really what drives change. Something else I would say is look within your community, see what your community is lacking or see what your community needs support in and where your community needs help. Um, Let's say your community has issues regarding shelter or your community has issues regarding um, food security, things like that. Just look around you and see what you feel passionate about and where you can get involved because I think that's a great thing. I remember doing that myself. when I was doing my volunteer hours for high school, I remember thinking, 40 hours? What am I going to do for 40 hours? I have to be passionate about something. And then that's how I started my work with kids uh, who were at risk of developing mental health issues. And I remember looking into my community and seeing, okay, this is a reach out center for kids. I want to work there. I want to get involved over there. So I think that's a big thing uh, for students. Find something you're passionate about and then see how you can get involved in your community. Because I think starting within your community is very important in order to make change on, let's say, a national scale or on a global scale. So I think start small and then you'll find momentum and you'll build on from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's an idea in there that I think is really intuitive or really insightful, I should say. Um, the psychologist Angela Duckworth talks about how she doesn't like the notion of following your passion. Mm-hmm. We tend to tell that to students a lot as a way yeah. of getting out of the conversation, right? <laughs> Just follow your passion, right? As though they have this bright shining star somewhere <laughs> yeah. in the future and they already know what it is. Yeah. Um, and she would say, no, we need to be in the constant fluid process of responding yeah. to what's inside of us in the development of a passion. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is there a sort of Is there a checklist or an inventory that students could go down just to kind of ask themselves which of these most appeals to me? Like uh, when we have our students look for volunteering opportunities, we use volunteertoronto.ca. They have a search opportunities function and it'll list uh, work with animals, work with the elderly, work with children, work in the arts, right? Work work in uh, the environment, tree planting, et cetera, right? And they they may not be able ahead of that time to say to me exactly what they're interested in. But when they go down that list, it helps them to say, oh, yeah, that's probably my number one. And, and there's my number two helps to clarify the issue a bit. If instead of telling our, our students, follow your passion and, and you'll help the world. C- can we give them a little bit of uh, clarity on what exactly is available to them in terms of the categories of help? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, how I would personally go about it is it's just a Google search away. You know, just type down what are some things that I could be involved in right now. Who needs help? What community needs help? Mm. If 
your community if you can't find something you're passionate about within your own community and then see if there are organizations that tackle those issues um and if there are yeah so if there is uh it's great and you can just shoot them an email you know be like you know i'm a high school student um i'm really interested how can i get involved but if there isn't i feel like a lot of teenagers just stop at that and look for something else um but i would say go for it try to start up your own thing i think a lot of teenagers are and i was like this at you know at the time a few years ago (laughs) where you're just like oh you know i'm just a 14 year old just a 16 year old what what can i do yeah you can do so much Mm -hmm. i think we just underestimate ourselves so much um in our creativity and in what we can think of as solutions i think we could be teenagers can be very innovative um you know in just starting up an idea it could start small or you could go big um i think we're just teenagers are too scared of failure sometime and i think we all are even as like adults and young adults um but as long as you're not doing any harm right if you can start this organization this club student club with your friends um you can start small start with like a movie night or whatever it is to just raise awareness and then little by little you can build up on this and who knows maybe this will be your work in the future you'll open an ngo this is how most (laughs) ngos are started up anyways yeah um yeah so i think um really seeing your potential and uh, i know it's hard and when you start up this initiative you might not see it you will probably most of the time think that it's not going to work out uh but you would be surprised sometimes at how big of an impact you can have or small of an impact but you know you're still working towards this issue and by the time you know in a few years you will look around and see that you're not by yourself anymore that this grew and it's going somewhere Mm -hmm. so yeah it's so well said, Mary Jo. I, <laughs> again, you. I couldn't agree more. Um, it strikes me that we do a, a much better job encouraging some of the values you just described in the realm of entrepreneurialism with our young people, right? We say chase failure, right? Yeah. Um, you know, now is the time to be experimenting, to be creative. Who knows what it's going to turn into, right? Mm-hmm. Go start your own business. Yeah. We, and it's funny, we don't do the same with altruism mm-hmm. or not, in yeah. the, not to the same extent. Um, I, I really hope that people are, are starting to realize, and I think UNICEF's values uh, cohere with this quite tightly, um, that children are not lesser adults, yeah. right? They're not, I, I said adults in training earlier, right? They're not, <laughs> their primary function is not to become adults. We need to start realizing that children have a reservoir of a type of intelligence mm-hmm. and especially a plasticity mm-hmm. of their brain. Like their brain can change so much more powerfully and so yeah. much more quickly than ours. We need to start respecting and, and using children as the resource that they are because we are not, we're clearly not creative enough yeah. as adults to solve some of the problems that are besetting us in our very fast-paced world. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I spoke with our uh, our art director a few podcasts ago, and we talked about some of the studies that have been din- done around divergent thinking or lateral thinking mm-hmm. and children's capacity for creativity. Yeah. And they are, to, to summarize the studies very quickly, they are basically geniuses of creativity when they're born. Mm-hmm. And their first 20 years are basically a descent 
into the mediocrity of adulthood, right? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. and, it, and it, it tracks. It's almost a direct line. They're they're like 100% geniuses when they're two years old. They're like 50% genius level when they're <laughs> when they're 10 or 12. And then by the time they're 18, they've basically lost their that that remarkable ability to think radically outside the box. Mm-hmm. Right? And when we talk about problems that we've been facing socially and globally for a century or more, right? Clean water, yeah. right? getting kids in classrooms, making sure people have a roof over their head, mm-hmm. right? Are we really in 2022 with the richest global economy in the history of the world and we're still seeing these issues rampant yeah. by the millions, mm-hmm. right? I, th- I think it's time we started asking some kids for, yeah. for some advice on this <laughs> stuff because our, our solutions yeah. are certainly lacking some creativity, yeah. I think. Yeah, I think really trying to get a team of both adults and younger people mm-hmm. um, because younger people can get you the root idea, the amazing, creative, innovative idea. And then the adults can come in and say, how do we tackle this though? Because this will come up. And, you know, because I think when you're a teenager, you see, you know, you you can imagine all those different opportunities and initiatives that you can undertake, but you don't, you might not think of the obstacles that might come up and just having someone come in and, you know, chat with you about the potential things that might come up that can get you to think about, okay, how can I address those then yeah. within this uh, solution that I've been thinking about? Um, yeah. yeah, I think we see great examples of it, and, and most people are familiar with Greta Thunberg and Malala, yeah. and um, I, I wish I had his name at hand, but the, the young young gentleman, they just made a doc- Netflix documentary about him who's doing clean air, uh, clean energy through wind turbine power in East Africa. Awesome. These are teenagers, right? Oh, wow. Yeah. Right, and they're, I, I don't know if anyone's made more of an impact on the, the fight against climate change than Greta Thunberg, and mm-hmm. she started when she was... 12 very 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 young right she did something that we as adults have yet to be able to do since the silent spring right Mm -hmm. like in 50 years Mm -hmm. and she did it when she was 12. yeah and just to add on i think youth advocacy advocacy is very important Mm -hmm. and youth have a voice and i think they should use that because even coming from a youth perspective is very important because you make your demands as youth very well heard and very at the center of everything, especially when it comes to issues of climate change. We do see the youth advocating for a better approach to climate change because they say, we are gonna be on this earth for way longer. We want to live on this earth in a specific way. So we wanna advocate for this. And I've been seeing at least the shift in the past five years of youth youth advocacy and youth engagement when it comes to climate change. And it's been really great to see. And I think if we could get youth involved in so many other aspects, that would be really important because I think it's really important. And like we were all saying, bridging the gap between quote unquote adulthood and quote unquote youth, and then how we can find solutions within each other. I think that's really important. Yeah. And yeah. UNICEF has been doing that. They have yeah. a platform on, I've seen it on Instagram, but it's called Voice of Youth. Mm-hmm. And it's completely dedicated to, it's kind of like a podcast, like what we're doing right now. It's, uh, you know, they film uh, teenagers, even children in their old country, maybe their day-to-day life. And they ask them questions about the issues that they're seeing. How could they be fixed? And it just gives them a platform to talk about what they think, their opinions, and may and hopefully uh, reach a wider audience that can actually fund this project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one thing. Maybe in the future, kids are, are going to have a lot more money than they do right now. But that's the one thing that I think they, they <laughs> yeah. still need us for. Um, when you mentioned 
the fact that children are, of course, going to be on this planet much longer than us, and mm-hmm. so they may be in a more valid position of concern mm-hmm. when it comes to these long-term issues. Um, I was reminded of, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, the effective altruism movement and Will McCaskill and Peter Singer, and especially some of their recent ideas around long-termism or mm-hmm. futurism, where yeah. we ask the ethical question, do the people of the future matter ethically? Do the unborn matter ethically mm-hmm. as much as the people who are sitting in front of you right now? Yeah. Maybe this is just more of a personal question, but do you have any thoughts on that issue and, and maybe how uh, we as educators, we as people who work with children can begin to take more of these long-termist ideas into our approach? I think a big aspect of that is recognizing that it is not, it's not all about you. It's about a community. It's about a people. And when we take a bigger and bigger, bigger look at this, it's about your community, your school, your city, your province, your nation, and as a a globe, as an earth. We are all people. We are all here living together. So I think that's the one thing we all need to prioritize and we all need to center, that it's not just about us. All the decisions that we make, we have to consider other people as well. Um, Future plans and future policies and things that we are advocating for or things that we are kind of questioning, we should take into consideration everyone's perspective and everyone's experience and how this is going to affect everyone because that's how we ensure that everything is equitable. I think that's the main thing is not just thinking about yourself, but thinking about yourself in relation to everyone else. What I can think of is um, specifically history and geography teachers. Um, you know, one I, like idea that just came up is um, when teaching the class about the history of the country or like different countries and how we are currently seeing those issues um, that are a result of the previous conflicts. Mm-hmm. Um, sensitizing the class um, and the teenagers about this is what previous people did wrong. Mm-hmm. And you are right now, these like you will be those people for the next generation in a few years that could be a century, but, um, you know, really reminding, um, how can I say this? Um, having the class be aware of the impact that they can have in a hundred years by looking at the impact that their ancestors had on them. Uh, but thinking about what if my ancestors thought about this? I wouldn't be in the situation right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think is a great way to, you know, have them engage more in those issues and um, really take initiative in this sense. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a funny thing. Obviously, when, when you're a youth in, in a lot of our cultures, certainly when I think we were growing up, um, you get this feeling that you're waiting for life to begin, right? Yeah. And that maybe mm-hmm. once life begins 10 years from now, then I'll be able to start having an impact on what's going to happen later. And I think especially right now, 21st century, we're looking at issues where we say, or maybe we're inclined to say, well, this is already over, right? Like climate climate change is already happening, right? There's nothing I can do. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, this economic recession is already happening. There's nothing I can do. Mm -hmm. Um, And as you say, if we're able to educate and provide some context to these young people, like we, we are in the midst of contributing to the climate change disaster, right? That's something yeah. like m- more than half of all carbon emissions have taken place in the last 
well, within this generation, right? It's not just something that we can blame our parents and yeah. our, our grandparents for. We are still in the midst of this. And I think placing a young person in that context mm -hmm. can be very empowering because you're no longer waiting for the life to, to begin and you no longer think that it's already happened to you and that you're sort of afloat in the ocean, mm -hmm. um, but that rather you are in the, in the prime position to impact not just people who come long after you, but people you are among right now. Mm -hmm. um, I want to take the end of this conversation and turn it a little bit more towards uh, university life. You, uh, assuming some of our uh, high school, our, our teenagers are looking across the street every single day at the oh, University yeah. of Toronto and saying, ooh, those are some pretty cool buildings I want to learn there. Um, you've obviously, you're in your the, the latter stages of your undergrads. Mm -hmm. You got engaged with um, the extracurricular life of your school and have yeah. begun to make a real impact uh, as volunteers and as workers with UNICEF. Um, what can I say to, to the young people that I'm working with every day or what would you say to them to encourage them on a similar path as they as they kind of stare out into that vast yawning mm -hmm. potential? You can do it. What's stopping you? Mm. Yeah. I mean, Dina and I did it. How how are we better than you? Mm -hmm. You know, I was pretty lost in first year. Same. Um, I applied to U of T as a joke not thinking I would get Seriously? it. Yeah, <laughs> wow. and I did, yeah. and now I'm here. And I really struggled in, in first year, and I think that says, like, most first years, like, it's the same. Yeah, like, yeah it's I like a, a pretty um, common experience, I would say, yeah. to struggle in first year. Um, and, you know, I couldn't find my way to chemistry class for a month, <laughs> but I'm still here, and I'm graduating soon. So I think really just um, when something doesn't work out, it's very easy to give up. Mm -hmm. And I'm guilty of that. I thought so many times of just quitting. Um, but, you know, looking back, if I did quit, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be graduating. And I did it. Like, I have, I think everyone has the potential in them to do what they want to do if Obviously, you have to put in, put in the effort, but sometimes you just don't have it in you. And it's okay to just take a break and take a step back and think about, is this really for you? And for me, it was the case, and I wanted to stay. And for some people, it might not be. But, you know, looking, if you, if you really want to study at UFC, it could be right now, or you might not get in and it could be in your master's, or your PhD, or you could just study somewhere else and end up being a professor at U of T. So I think there's so many different ways to get involved in all the different places that you want to be at. So for example, for me, I wanted to be part of UNICEF, hopefully, and I might not work with them in the future, but I think this being co-director of the youth engagement program at U of T UNICEF really satisfies this part of me. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, we really try, usually for me at least, I really think of um, you know, this specific job, like this specific target, I have to be exactly in this place without looking at all the different options that are available to be in the same environment. Um, so obviously I hope, you know, they get into the university they want to get into, but this is just for people that might not get in. Um, this is, it's not, we're not better than you for getting in. Uh, we just, Sometimes it's just luck and, you know, 
you will, you might be around in the future. Like it doesn't life doesn't stop at undergrad. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, uh, yeah, I think if you want to. Yeah, no, 100 percent. Just to add to that, I really struggled in first year, too. And I think if anyone is on that path of thinking of doing undergrad and going to university, I think not to expect to struggle, but it's not an easy path to take. So I think uh, try things out and don't be too scared of failure because it's essentially inevitable, but just know that you can prove yourself wrong. If this is something you want, if this is something you know that you want to pursue, you can, you know, you can overcome these obstacles. Obstacles are always gonna be there, you can overcome them. Um, the other thing to say is, yeah, it's hard adjusting. No one really talks about this. I remember everyone used to tell me in my high school, like, oh, it's going to be so fun. It's yeah. going to be so exciting. I remember all my teachers even telling me, it's going to be the best time of your life. And I remember thinking, well, I can't wait to go there. And then I go in with these really high expectations. And then, then I'm like, oh, wow. OK, reality is here. OK, is this something I really want? I also have to kind of like take a step back and think, is this what I really want? Is this what I'm doing? What am I pursuing? What am I going to do in the future? I had to really sit with myself. So I think sitting with oneself is really important and then try things out and find something that you are quote-unquote passionate about or something that you are interested in mm -hmm. i remember in second year i came to myself and thought okay i want to try and get a bit more involved and that's when i found uft unicef and that's when i started getting involved in extracurriculars and getting involved on campus and i found that it made my experience a lot better i remember in first year being so focused on my academics and i have to be so successful and i have to do this this and this and that and i remember okay i'm going to take a step back i'm going to find things that make my university experience more fulfilling mm -hmm. big capital t thank you to both of you and, and you dina we're looking forward having to us. having you back here in a yeah. couple of weeks <laughs> thank you so much this has been great this, this is the braemar life skills academy podcast i'm mike helsby with uh, dina mahavza and mary jo abdulhai from u of t uh, thanks for being with us today and I hope you enjoyed the topic.